You're listening to a message from Stonegate Church in Midlothian, Texas. For more information about Stonegate and additional audio resources, visit Stonegate-Church.com. Good morning, everyone. Good deal. If you don't know me, my name is Kevin Hill. Uh, I am uh, one of your elders and one of your pastors. Privileged to do that. And uh, privileged to be speaking with you guys this morning. So, um, uh, last night, me and my wife were at a restaurant, and uh, it's funny how music is. And they had these, music was really too loud, and we couldn't even talk. We couldn't even really hear each other. Uh, but this song came on, uh, Joan Jett, I Love Rock and Roll. <laughs> and so this brought back me all the way back to 10th grade and in a carpool with my friend. And I have a love-hate relationship with this song because... Every day I heard this song on the trip to school uh, when his mom was taking us. And it's funny how music is, and, and, and that brings back memories in your mind's eye. And so you can put yourself back to a certain place with people uh, and events in your life. And so we are starting a series on Psalms today. And Psalms is a collection of songs. And there's a variety a variety of emotions in the Psalms as far as happy to sad. And uh, so I'm excited to start us off on Psalms 1. And um, Stonegate has a lot of great preachers, uh, Rodney, Jimmy, Ryan, Jeff, and I'm not one of them. So so y'all pray for me. I'm more comfortable with about 20 to 30 people talking counseling. And teaching that and asking questions, not just come up here just speaking to you guys. So uh, if you guys would pray for me, let's, let's pray real quick and uh, y'all pray. Father, we just uh, come before you this morning. I thank you, Lord, for just this opportunity uh, to speak to our people. And uh, Lord, I just pray, God, for uh, your power to be displayed this morning. Lord, I pray, God, that I would get out of the way and, Lord, that your message would reside in our hearts. And Lord, I just pray, God, that you would just speak to us this morning, Father. Direct me this morning. We ask this in Christ's name, amen. Good deal. Okay, so uh, I'm going to preach on Psalms 1, and I'm going to preach on Psalms 1 in a way you probably never heard it preached before. So hang on. So here's what's going to happen. Uh, I'm going to briefly go through verses 1 and 2, and then I'm going to frame the chapter with some gospel. And this is going to all make sense later. Uh, and then we're going to primarily be looking at verses 3, contrasting with verse 4, through the lens of my life the last 9, 10 months. I have some personal things I'm going to share with you guys about my life. And so that's how it's going to go down. So let's look at uh, Psalms 1. We're going to read 1 through 4 again real quick. And it says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by the streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. And all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are are not so, but they are like the shaft that the wind drives away. So I'm going to be having 
uh, water up here. I'll explain later why I have to do this. It's part of the story. Uh, so just bear with me on that. But um, me and my wife got away in February, and uh, we went uh, on vacation, and we went down to South Carolina and uh, Georgia. And while we were in South Carolina, uh, we were able to visit a place called the Middleton um, Plantation. Beautiful grounds where terrible things happened. And when I was there, I saw this tree. And this tree, this picture doesn't do this tree justice. This thing is massive. And this is the Ashley River that's right by that. And when I was there, this is why I took this picture, because this reminded me of Psalms 1. I had no idea I was going to be preaching on this several months later. And, uh, but looking at this tree, this tree is several hundred years old, and it's just been feeding off of that river. And, and it's a really cool picture of being able to see that and, like, preach this a little later, you know. So, um, so let's look at verse 1 real quick. And I'm just going to stop at the first, the first sentence here. It says, blessed is the man. So in the Hebrew, blessed means happy. Uh, it was interesting. I was reading some commentaries, and this just opened the wide up of the door uh, on this commentary. It also said blessed means level and balanced. Okay? And so level and balanced means uh, if you're going to build a house, you imagine if you're going to build a house without a level and without a carpenter square. Imagine you're going to do this by eye. You're going to have a mess of a house. And so looking at this, at this passage is, it, you know, it could say uh, level-headed or balanced is the man on this. And so that's kind of came up with my title today, Key to a Balanced Life, and how to live your life on balance, because everything else throws us off. And kind of the question I wanted to throw to you guys today is how do you cope with life? How do you cope with uh, difficulties? How do you cope with family difficulties, health difficulties? How do you cope with boredom? What a weird question. Do you run to God? Do you run to TV? Pornography? Alcohol? Food? Work? Bury yourself in work? See, Jesus says in, in Matthew 6, he says that every day will have trouble of its own. And so the key question is, how do I cope with this trouble? And that's what we're going to talk about, the key to balancing your life, keeping your life level amidst this fallen world we live in. And so if all of us were honest this morning, none of us have this together, and that including me. I don't have it together. None of us in this room have it together. And so all of us are off balance to varying degrees. We struggle. You know, so essential to living a life in balance is knowing Jesus as your Savior. And I'm not naive enough to think that everyone in this room is saved. Everyone in this room is committed to Christ and, and has gone all in with Christ. There might be some of you this morning that have a toe dipped in there, or you, you're with family and you were dragged here. And so living a life that's on balance is key is, is knowing Christ. So I just want to lay that as a foundation. And if you haven't done that this morning, we can give you an opportunity in the end to, to do that. So uh, verse 1, it talks about balance is the man, 
and he goes out and he lays out, if you don't do these things in verse 1, you will be balanced. And so lays that out. Verse 2, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on this law, he does meditate day and night. So he's not talking here um, about, uh, how many of you here uh, ever gotten like a baseball rule book? You know, I, I, used to, I used to get baseball, I was a baseball nut when I was younger, and just read those rule books and just boring as heck, but I was so, I was like, I don't know this thing. That's not what the Bible is. The Bible is not a rule book. And that's not what he's saying. He's saying, for the man that delights in the law, the rules of the Lord, he's talking about the man who delights in the message of the Lord. And so just to lay this out, that this is the key here, if you delight in the message. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to uh, spread this out a little bit. So there's two vitally important things to know about being life, having your life on balance. So uh, the first is you are forgiven. And the second is you are loved. You're just like, yeah, of course I know that. I'm a Christian. See, I, through the course of our life, we can think, man, I've got it. I'm a Christian, I know I'm, I know I'm forgiven, I know I'm loved. But let me, let me flush this out a little bit and uh, let, us, let me counsel us this morning because all of us struggle in these areas. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kind of shed some light on this. So if you feel like you are unforgiven, if you feel, if you're struggling, if you truly don't believe that God has forgiven you, the first thing is you do, you carry shame. And so since shame is public, like, it can play out like this. I don't like being around other people. I don't like going to home group. You can be thinking, I'm so messed up that other people have it so much more together than me. They're so much better off than me. I don't like being around them. You aren't believing that you're forgiven. Second way this plays out. Self-condemnation. Romans 8.1 says, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. You're not condemned, is what the, that verse says. And this plays out like I'm constantly hard on myself. If you're a perfectionist in here, you struggle here. I don't measure up. I must try harder. or you quit trying and become a procrastinator. These are the roots of not feeling like you're forgiven. You have this guilty feeling in you all the time. I have to, I don't measure up. Third way, and this is a really popular way in the church, is we become legalistic. I follow the rules. And so, we begin to think that if I do this, God will like me better. So if you're honest in here, and this is me right here, if I haven't read my Bible and I, I figure I'm going to go read my Bible and God's going to love me more after I read it 
or if I pray more, if I haven't been praying a lot, man, I need to pray more. I need to, I need to do harder. I become legalist. You know, the problem with being a legalist is if you get really good at it, you're not a good person to be around because you're very prideful. You think you're better than other people. The turn of this is you go into despair and you're on. You don't want to be around people. I'm in despair because I can't keep these rules. I can't do this. I've had people when I've counseled them, they said, this is too hard. I can't do this. Because they're not, they don't feel like they're forgiven. They truly don't believe that God has forgiven them. And so if I was going to play this out a little bit further, and, and, and these are just some of the ways. If I had time, we could flesh it out in a counseling session and just be <laughs> forever. It's my home there, you know. And so um, the problem is, is, see, these are all of our attempts to make ourselves right before God. These are, these are compensations, these three things. There's many more. And the problem is I can't find a solution to my guilt, to my conscience. And this leads to I become uninterested in finding a solution. This plays out like, when was the last time you read your Bible? Eh, it's been a while. I'm uninterested in finding a solution. I can't find one. It's because you truly don't believe that you're forgiven. Second part of this is you truly don't believe that you're loved. See, if you're unloved, you struggle with accepting love from others. Because I have a hard time accepting love from God... I have a hard time accepting love from others. You know, it's been said that the capacity of how you can love is the capacity of how I receive love from God. He is love, so I can flow it out. And if I don't believe that, I have a really hard time doing that. You think, man, I'm just not good enough for them. And even at a, a deep subconscious level, Love is dangerous. Love brings pain. So subconsciously, I'm going to sabotage my relationships. I'm going to stiff arm people and I'm not going to let them so close. I'm not going to let anybody in my life. It's because you're struggling with truly not believing you're loved by God. Second way to do this is you view life by circumstance. If God really loved me, he wouldn't allow this to happen. I've done that. So you begin to look your life through your circumstances, your difficulties in life. And, and you look at other people and like, man, they seem to have it all together. They seem not to, uh, to be struggling here. And, and why is it me, God? Why do you, why'd, you, why'd you do this on me? You don't love me. So you begin to interpret your life by your circumstances. Because you truly don't believe God loves you. This last one, 
is what's in it for me? This is a play out right here. Life is seen as getting what you want out of relationships. And that's God included, God and others. If God doesn't serve me in the way I want him to, then I don't really have time for him. Yeah, I'll, I'll still come to church. I'll still put the face on. If I'm in a relationship and, and that person is no longer meeting my needs, eh, what's in it for me? Nothing here. I've sat across couples before and they said, they said, man, my, my spouse is just not meeting my needs anymore. It's because you truly don't believe God loves you. That's the root of it. My spouse did this, doesn't do this for me, so therefore I'm out. You approach others this way. How can I get them to love me or like me? That's your motivation. What's in it for me? You become a taker instead of the intended thing that God wants you to be is to be a giver. And so these things throw us off balance. And all of us in here struggle in varying degrees of these things. And these are just a few circumstances of this. But two vital things, and this is verse 2. This is what verse 2 is talking about. To know that you're forgiven and to know that you're loved. That's the message of the Bible. And that should be your delight. So I'm going to share a little bit about myself. Uh, about a year and a half ago, I, uh, probably a little longer than that, I, I felt a little lump right here in my neck. And uh, I went to my primary care physician. I said, hey, what do you think of this? And he said, man, don't, I think it's a cyst. Don't worry about it. You know, and uh, he says, if it starts hurting you, we'll, um, we'll do something about it. Total mistake. I don't blame him at all. Um, about a year ago, almost a year ago, I went to a dermatologist. And I told my wife, I said, uh, I said, this is bothering me a little bit. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask her, see if she can take this cyst out. Man, this is bothering me. So I showed her uh, this little bump over here, and she freaked out. And she said, she said man, you, you need to go. She thought it was a lymph node that was swollen. You, we need to get this thing checked out now. And, um, you know, so she, she ended up uh, going through my primary care and ordering an ultrasound, a CT scan, and blood test and all these things. And blood test came back good. Um, I'm good. I don't know what she's so worried about. Uh, it was August 5th. It was a Friday morning. I was uh, in my car. I, I parked my car, and I, I got a phone call. Phone rang. And it was my primary care guy. And he said, hey, um, there's a mass. <laughs> we need to get this thing checked out ASAP. We got to get a biopsy. And, and man, you, you talk about, whoa. So I went and the medical city and was in the doctor's office and uh, he had the x-rays up there, the, the 
results, and I could see, and I had something in here. I was like, whoa. And I could see the, the concern in the doctor as he talked to me. And, you know, he stuck this gigantic four-inch needle. If you hear somebody scream in August last year, that was me. It's like, God. He went in there and took, took out a, a piece of this thing. And, um, man, super concerned. And, and I began to worry. You know, he said it's going to be a few days. We're going to get back to you. Those few days were eight days. But I'll tell you something. I, I was realizing I could be dying here. And I'm 50 years old and, and, and dying. It's a good thing to face your death. You know, all of us in here are terminal. Not to be morbid, but everyone in this room is going to die at some point or another. And Psalms 90, 12 says, teach us to number our days so that we may have a heart of wisdom. And those eight days were really, really special to me. Man, I remember I went out to my, my car. I was going to get in the car in the morning, and, and I could just smell the air. It was like, man, that is so pleasant, so good. And, and everything seemed to have more vibrant color. I saw children playing, and it reminded me of God. It was really good. September 2nd, some of you know that um, I have a child that has um, disabilities, and he's just been a blessing to me. We, we were at medical, actually, we were at Children's Medical, and uh, I was there, and we hadn't heard. We were like, what is going on? Why aren't they calling us? You know, and, and kept calling. I was like, yeah, not yet, not yet. We're still doing some more tests. <sighs> September 2nd, uh, Grant was getting a full body MRI, and he had some issues we were dealing with. And my phone rings. And it was, I saw it was Medical City. And so me and my wife run to a little corner where we could talk. Heard it in the doctor's voice. <laughs> he said, he said, Man, this is malignant, and we got to get this thing out ASAP. And I'm like, oh, man, it's a rare cancer. It's what I had. It's a, a two in a hundred thousand cancer. And and man, I never thought it was going to be cancer. I always thought it was going to be heart disease. That's in my family, not not cancer. So I'm going to ask you a question. You get a phone call like that. What are you thinking? What are you doing? How are you reacting? I know what my thoughts were. How could you, God? I had fear and a, and a feeling of abandonment upon me. Like, this is not fair. I have a son that's disabled that needs me. My wife needs me. I'm too young. It's a false assumption. God's love will always soothe me and never challenge me. God's love will always soothe me and never challenge me. You know, in Hebrews 12, 
It says, for the Lord disciplines the one he loves. Loves. Proverbs 3.12, for the Lord reproves him whom he loves. As a father, the son in whom he delights. And see, this is confusing for us. And, and the reason it's confusing is we're confused by the world's view of love. See, love here is merit-based. I do something and I deserve this. Or I did something, I don't deserve that. That's how we play it with God. God's love is agape love. Cannot be earned. It's given. And so it doesn't make sense to us. Romans 5, 8 says, while we were still sinners, he died for us. I didn't do anything during this. See, the essence of agape love is his goodwill, his benevolence, his willful delight in the object of his love. If you want to know more about agape love, read 1 Corinthians 13. So this brings me to my first point. To being, on, to being imbalanced, God's love is not interpreted by my circumstances. God's love is not interpreted by my circumstances. I had four days to process my circumstances and recenter myself on truth. God does, in fact, love me. He is for me. And my faith in God became a great comfort in the midst of this trial. September 6th came around, and I had a PET scan. And uh, if you've ever had one of these things, it's crazy. They, they bring out a, a, a lead vial, and it's got radioactive medicine in it. And, and they put this in my veins, and I had to be still for 45 minutes in a dark room. And um, then they put you in a tube and another 45 minutes. So this is the second point. Invite God into my circumstances. I'm in this tube, and Elizabeth and I had talked about uh, this whole process at this time. It's like, man, I told her, it's like, I, I really want to, to make sure God is glorified in this time and, and do everything I can. You know, some of you guys follow me on Facebook, and I'm a terrible social media person, but I try to do my best, you know. And... When I was in this tube, I could feel the presence of the Lord in there with me. And I was at the halfway point, and, and your head goes out the other end, about 22 and a half minutes in, and I'm sitting here, and as I begin to go back in this tube, I felt like the Lord telling me, worship me in this process. I start going back in that tube, and it's, it's rum, 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 rum. And I begin to hear 
This is clear. God loves you. God loves you. God loves you. God loves you. And man, it just shook me up, man. It's like, wow. I mean, it was the coolest experience being in there. And I, I went home and told Elizabeth that night, you know, what happened. And uh, she told me, she was praying specifically that God would speak to me in that too. That's pretty cool. So the second point is to invite God in your circumstance if you want a life on balance. Third point, God is the one who is holding on me, onto me. It's not the other way around. The lady is, uh, before I got in the tube, she asked, she said, hey, what kind of music do you listen to? I was like, Christian. She goes, I'll put Christian music on. I'm in this tube, and uh, David Crowder, uh, singer, uh, Christian singer, uh, this song starts playing, I am holding on to you. And the I in this song is God. In the middle of the storm, I am holding on to you. That was playing in this tube. It's cool, man, you know? And so a lot of times we feel like God is a moving target. If I had these cups up here and I had the little ball in it, you know, and, and doing this, sometimes we feel like God is doing that, and he's not. God is not that way. God is steadfast. He pursues you. Invite him in to your life. Invite him into your circumstances. He is the one holding on to you. It's not me trying that to grab hold on to him. No. September 27th, last year, I had my surgery. God gave me a verse. It was Isaiah 26.3 that morning. It says, you keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. They came out and um, took two tumors out of me. One was a golf ball size tumor. Another one was a little one growing behind it. Um, they didn't tell me at the time, but this was stage three. We'd done the research, and I'm glad he didn't, he didn't tell me until February what stage it was. Uh, stage three, the odds are not good. The odds are really grim. And I'm glad he didn't tell me that until later. <laughs> it's like, goodness, you know. This uh, tumor had wrapped around... There's a nerve junction right here in your jawline. It wrapped itself around these nerves. And so he had to be really careful uh, on doing that. And he says, I wanted to save your functional nerve so I can smile and wink at you guys and all that. But he had to cut the century, so I'm, I'm completely dead over here. I can't feel anything. And so this will be the rest of my life here. But this is good. Good for me to remember. <laughs> Pathology report showed that some of the cancer was still in me. They missed some in the cheek area. They couldn't go up too far to the skin. So they referred me to North Point Cancer Center. Uh, and this was October 12th of last year. And met with an oncologist. And, and I remember him telling me, he, he said, Kevin, he says, he says, listen to me. He said, this will be the hardest thing you've ever done. And I'm thinking, oh, you don't know my life. I've been through some really tough stuff in my life, you know. I remember thinking that inside. I was like, what do you think you, you don't even know who you're talking to here, you know. He was right. Man. 
He said, head and neck is the hardest radiations because this is where you think. This is where you, you operate up here. And so he warned me. He says, you're going to get to the point where you don't want to eat, and you better eat because you could die. And then he told me this. He said, he said, most of the people I talk to, I'm trying to extend their life three to six months. He says, but you're different. He says, he says because of your, your health and your fitness, it's really because of God, you have a chance to be cured. And he said, cured means never coming back. And so I got to thinking about that. And it's pretty cool, the providence of God, you know, and, and how he took a little 14-year-old kid and started getting him interested in, in weightlifting and fitness and stuff because he knew 36 years later he's going to need this to get through this treatment. That's pretty cool. The providence of God and that's the love of God. October 18th was my first day of radiation. I had 34 rounds of radiation. Uh, no chemo. This cancer would not do anything with chemo. And so um, I was blessed by many of you guys, several of you guys in here in this room transported me up there to Dallas and was blessed by y'all's prayers uh, during this time. It was five days a week. Uh, it, it ended December 6th. The, the next couple of months were just absolutely, indescribably brutal. Um, I mean, I had... Looked like a bad sunburn, blisters on my neck and where the radiation had come in. And I had terrible nausea, headaches, my saliva gone. They took, uh, the, the cancer was in my parotid gland, which is my saliva gland. So they took 80% of my gland out and um, thus the water. Uh, radiation killed the rest of my saliva. So I don't have any saliva. And they said it may come back, may not. I mean, some... Believe in that, God for that, but I get through, you know. And so, um, ulcers in my entire mouth, tongue, throat. Drinking water was like drinking shards of glass. Absolutely, indescribably painful. I lost 31 pounds. I remember I had a, a period of time where... Uh, uh, the things I, I was trying to put in my mouth tasted like metals, like I'm eating pennies. It was absolutely terrible. Another time, this is kind of funny, I, I, uh, my wife had took me up there this, this day, and, and her perfume was smelling like body odor to me. <laughs> How do you tell your wife, my sweet wife, you stink? <laughs> I was, my body was so screwed up. You know, man. Yeah, 31 pounds lost. He is like a tree planted by the streams of water that yields its fruit in due season, and its leaf does not wither, and all that he does, he prospers. How was I doing? Closest I've ever felt to God. See, the stream is the strength of God. He fed my roots. He was my source. You know, and I talk to, to people, and, and uh, I often hear this. Like, you know, I don't want God to be a crutch. People's dependence upon God 
equals a functional human being. People's independence from God, you're dysfunctional. See, self-worship forces independence. Remember the play out of, of not knowing that I'm loved. What's in it for me? That's self-worship. Brings me to my fourth point. Become dependent upon an unlimited God. God put me in a place where I was dependent upon him. You know, it's interesting to think that God has made people with limits. We are limited, aren't we? It's like I have to go to sleep at night to be refreshed. If I stay up like three days in a row, I'm, I'm a basket case. I have limits. God did this so we'd be dependent upon him. When I'm weak, he is strong. He had me in a situation to where, man, I had to depend upon him. This is my life. That's a good place to be. February, I underwent uh, another PET scan and uh, came back and, and I just want to praise the Lord. Uh, this morning, I was declared cancer-free. Amen. Amen. So you're here this morning, you say, okay, Kev, I'll try harder at this. I'm going to get a reading plan over here, and I'm going to start reading my Bible in the morning. That's a good thing. I'm going to pray more. I'm going to pray every, every morning. That's a good thing, too. But no, the solution is not to try harder. But his delight is in the message of the Bible. And on this message, he meditates day and night. Fifth point, remember the gospel. You're forgiven and you're loved. Because really what I'm talking about there is mercy and grace. Mercy is he doesn't treat me as I deserve. Grace is he gives me what I don't deserve. I'm forgiven and I'm loved. <laughs> Meditating on this gospel brings this delight in verse 3. That's the key. That's what it's talking about. So I want you to look at your neighbor, and I want you to repeat after me. If you're a believer in here, I want you to say, I am 100% forgiven. There's nothing that you've done. There's nothing that you have said. There's nothing that you have thought that has not been paid for by the blood of Christ. Amen. That's a celebration, isn't it? Amen. So you're going to leave here today, and I want you to do something when you go out. I want you to look from one end of the horizon to the next when you get out. And I want you to remember Psalms 103. It says, because of Jesus... Your sin is removed as far as the east is from the west. All guilt removed. 
I want you to say one other thing to your, to your neighbor. I am completely loved by God. I want you to repeat that. There's nothing that you can do to separate you from the love of God. That's Romans 8.39. Nothing. The year was 1860. There was a guy named Charles Blondin. He was a tightrope walker. He was a freak. Uh, he tightroped across Niagara Falls, very famous for it, and gigantic crowds uh, used to come watch this guy do it. He'd do it without poles. He would do it blindfolded. I even read, and this is hard for me to believe, that he went across the tightrope on stilts. The guy was just an absolute freak. 1860, the British royalty, the Duke of Newcastle came to see him. And so he figured, I'm going to do something a little different here. And so he pulled out a wheelbarrow and, and, and walked across the tightrope with the wheelbarrow. And then on the other side, he put a couple of sacks of potatoes in there and he walked back across. And the crowd was absolutely going crazy and, and just cheering him. He's like, man, you're great, Blondie. You're, you're fantastic. You can do anything. And so he goes up to the Duke and he asked him a question and he says, do you believe that I can take a man across in a wheelbarrow? And he goes, yeah, I do believe. And he says to the Duke, hop in. <laughs> he didn't do it. <laughs> he asked the crowd and no one else volunteered. And then pretty soon an elderly lady steps out of the crowd and gets in a wheelbarrow and it was his mom. God, you can do anything. I believe you. You can do anything. You're amazing. But when he asked us to get in his wheelbarrow, I don't know about that. Now, we often say no. God is trying to get us to trust him. We forget. We're like the man in the mirror in James. We read it, yeah, I believe that, and we'll walk off and forget. It's going to look at one last passage, Jeremiah 17, 7 and 8. It'll be up on the screen for you. This is kind of a, a colorful, more colorful uh, of three. It says, blessed, happy, level, balanced is the man who trusts in the Lord. He is like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots into the stream and does not fear when heat comes. For its leaves remain green and is not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. Well, I have moments of unbelief, forgetfulness, Yeah, until God takes me home. We'll never have this figured out. I will never truly comprehend that he's forgiven me. Truly comprehend that he loves me. But he does. So I want you guys to bow your heads. You're here this morning and 
and you say, man, I, that's me. I, I haven't been believing right. I haven't been thinking right. I read something this last week that said the only thing I can do is change my way of thinking and my life. The rest is done for us. If you're here this morning, you've been struggling with your life and your life circumstances, we're going to have some people over at the prayer table. I'll be over there in a minute. As they begin to, to play, I want you guys to go over there. If you're here this morning and you don't have the foundation, you don't have a relationship with Christ, you've been dabbling with it, thinking about it, you know all about it, but it's not yours. It's not true to you. It's not really a part of my life. Yeah, I come to church, but I'm not a follower. I don't seek him daily. He's not the essence of my life. If that's you too, I want you to, to get up and go over to the prayer table as well. I'll be over there. I want to talk to you. So let me pray for us. Father, I just pray for these sweet people. Just thank you, Lord, for your gospel. Lord, that I am forgiven, that I am loved, and I don't have to compensate. I have to believe. And Father, I just pray, God, for the spirit to move this morning, Father, in our hearts. I pray, God, that, uh, Lord, that you would just penetrate unbelief, Father, where there's unbelief. For those in this room, Father, that don't truly know you, Father, I pray, Lord, that the Spirit would move in their life, Father, that they may see that vibrant color, that vibrant life which you came to give us. Realize, Father, our time is short. It's running. The meter's running, Father. I pray, God, that we would seize this day, seize this morning. Lord, I just ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Stonegate Church, located in Midlothian, Texas. For service times, additional audio and study resources, as well as information about our church, please visit us at stonegate-church.com.